The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Welcome to the Driver Live show here on Fresh FM. My name's Stephen Tanner. I'm the host of Driver Live, and we are the show that likes to talk about transport issues. We talk to locals about their experience driving on our roads, or cycling on our roads, or busing on our roads, and maybe tonight all three of those. Uh, thank you to NPD Fuels for sponsoring us. Um, you can fill up any one of their many stations around the top of the south, the middle of the south, and possibly even the bottom of the South Island, I think they're in now. So thank you again to MPD Fuels. So on this uh, colourful autumnal evening as I was driving in tonight, we are going to be talking to someone who's well-known in the transport industry locally, um, and we're very pleased to have her back on the show after nearly three years, I think it is. So, welcome to Margaret Parfit from Nelson City Council. Welcome, Margaret. Kia ora. Kia ora, and thank you for coming in. Uh, you got here okay? Oh, yes, and yes, that was a stunning sunset It tonight. was a stunning so sunset, it was wasn't it? picturesque. Yes, I was got potentially dangerously distracted looking at the stunning sunset. I have to keep your eyes on the road, of course. Um, so, yes, I think it was three years nearly since we last had you on the show so um yes one of the things we'll be interested in here is what's sort of happened in the last three years in your area but tell us again a little bit about your role that you do for nelson city council sure sure so my my title there is business unit manager transport and solid waste and i'm happy to talk to somebody else about solid waste on another day so that's our, our recycling and waste minimization work so transport manager for transport um, includes the oversight of the operational team, so the, the teams that, that run our transport services, our buses, our total mobility service, and who maintain and operate our, our roads, but also the, um, the activity planners, so those who are doing the strategies and the planning and the, the you know getting the, the forward work uh, like parking strategies and active transport strategies on the books to... Um, to turn out a work program that we will apply for funding for. So it's both operational and planning, my role. Right. I'm very privileged to have a fantastic team of people working under me. Yeah, Yeah. That's so that's quite good because you get to do the, well, the sort of business as usual, keeping stuff going, but it's also about, well, how are we going to make this better? What are the yeah. challenges we're facing? And then presumably you get to see the fruits of your work in the then becoming the 
everyday stuff as well. Oh, look, I hope so. I've been in the game long enough. I've been at Nelson City Council now 28 years, and I have seen huge change in the transport sector in that time. Um, but it's a really exciting time to be working in transport now. I mean, it's a, it's a transport is a big emitter of carbon, mm-hmm. um, and you know, there's been a realization about what what that's doing, and um, you know, climate emergencies declared and carbon reduction legislation. So it's a very exciting time. And technology is moving so quickly as well that we're enabled to make changes. The way we move around is changing. The reason to move around is changing or not move around, as the case may be. So it's a really exciting time um, to be doing the work that I do. Yeah, because I guess uh, like five years ago, we wouldn't have been talking about, well, should we have an electric electric vehicle? Shall we be having a electric scooter to go the last few kilometres and sort of stuff. Exactly. All, all that yep, stuff. That just sort of technology. I mean, I mean, even the reason five years ago I would have flown to Wellington to go to a meeting. Well, yep. I mean, I can't remember the last time I flew to Wellington to go to a meeting. <laughs> um, apart from the pandemic, it's the technology and the mobility devices that we all have now and Zoom and Teams meetings just means we don't need to we don't yep. need to make those journeys. No, it's some interesting choices we have we have now. So it's I guess it's 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 wrestling how those fit in with the patterns and habits we're all in in terms of getting around our city and region and the expectations we have around that and potential for the future so we'll we'll talk uh, um a little bit about those sort of changes of mode and what you're doing mm-hmm. on that uh, a little bit time uh, sorry in a little bit of time but tell us what you've mainly been up to in the last two to three years well then. i th- I think the last time I spoke to you, uh, the Nelson Future Access Study was probably underway. Now, that was a big study led by Waka Kotahi, or previously known as the New Zealand Transport Agency, or NZTA, which Nelson City partnered with them. Um, And and that was looking at the challenges around congestion on our network, um, incompatible mode use on, on some of our roads, Rocks Road being probably the main one where you've got logging trucks and cyclists mixing it on a piece of tarmac yeah um and and how we can uh, what we need to do for those links into our city center to keep our city center vibrant to realize the um the potential that our world-class waterfront has so that study was probably just kicking off or underway three Mm -hmm. years ago what i can say is that that study has been completed um the business case was completed and uh, endorsed by Nelson City Council in December, and then the Waka Kotahi Board approved it uh, late December. So that's now in line for funding. We have to, right. um, I mean, just because the business case has been approved, there's no guarantee of funding. It, it all comes out of the National Land Transport Fund. But there are some short term, mid term, and long term. Um, initiatives coming out of that package so uh, you know in the short term getting rocks roads um, walking and cycling improved is has well we've we've asked for the money um, we're waiting to hear so that we can get the investigation the design and the consenting of that done it's going to be a very challenging resource consent to get because the plans are that we build a five meter wide can cantilever or we push the seawall out and we build a, a five meter wide walking and cycling esplanade around there okay that's um, quite sig- so you yes, know that's that an, that, significant, that's yeah. significant and it's challenging because you're working in a marine environment you've got heritage aspects you know mm. there's a lot of things to be considered but the good news is that it's now included in our regional land transport plan and we can make a, a bid yeah. for funding f- to get that work started 
There's also um, within that package uh, a whole lot of travel demand management stuff, so improving public transport, managing your parking, improving active transport. There's two significant um, active transport corridors within the short-term package, and I can talk a bit more about them. One is the Washington Valley, and the other one is a connection between the railway reserve to Waimea Road, the hospital and the colleges. So we're working on business cases for those now. Oh, okay. What's yeah. what's active transport? Active transport your? is you're walking, you're cycling, and we include micro-mobility in that, so things so like scooters. e-scooters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's all a very sustainable platform. So the, I suppose the, the, the takeaway from the Nelson Future Access Study outcome was that the, the solution is seen to not be building new capacity, as we're not building a new road. Right. Um, we are going to make better use of the transport network that we've got through public transport, better parking management and active modes, so that mode oh, okay. shift thing that we keep coming back yeah. to. Uh, Waka Kotahi has said that they will retain the land that they own along uh, what's known as the Old Railway Reserve from top of uh, St Vincent Street through to Beetson Road for resiliency purposes, so they're not planning on building a new road there. Uh, oh, okay. I mean, look, a lot of Nelsonians will know it as the Old Southern Link Route. Yep. It's been on the books for about 30 years. The study has said, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. We're going to make better use um, of what we've got now. Yeah. That's the way the investment okay, hierarchy yeah. works. So that, that's a, that's definitely a specific sort a- of angle they're going down, ab- isn't it? Absolutely. Because and, you know, that debate has been going on yes. for as long as I've been in this game. Yeah. So it, it's kind of nice to have had a very clear decision yeah. made um, about that. Yeah, because often it's, well, we're just to increase capacity, we'll just... Put another lane on somewhere or bowls. There's nowhere in the world that has built their way out of congestion. Nowhere in the world, no. (laughs) Thinking of the M25 in the UK and everywhere else is, yes, it's just add another lane of congestion. Um, And we should actually, I should actually clarify, uh, just in case listeners don't know, that um, Waka. Um, Waka Kotahi. Waka Kotahi. They fund uh, state highways, don't they, specifically? That's right. So they're they, responsible yep, for the funding. They are the road of, controlling authority the responsible highway. for state highway. And in Nelson, our state highway runs right through the centre of, you know, it runs from Queen Elizabeth Drive onto Haven Road, Wakefield Quay, Rocks Road, yep. Annisbrook Drive until it hits the Annisbrook Roundabout and then it's on Waka right. 2 Drive. Because you, you might kind of forget that that is actually a. Well, you don't forget, but I guess some of us who travel it might forget that's actually a state highway. Yeah, there. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah which, which means it is funded differently, so you have to go in a campaign and appeal for action there. So, yeah, so uh, some possible major changes for Rocks Road on the way. I can hear I can hear the people who sort of do the swimming off by the oh, and steps look, all there of that will be and considered the ship fishing. In the, in the design, yeah. that's, that's all part of the design is that we, um, we, the... the, the the authorities recognise the value of that waterfront and the amenity value. Yeah, We've heard very strongly stuff, yeah. that the swimming steps are really valued. And if you are going to build a new wall or push the wall out there, then some easy access down onto yeah. the sea or into the sea is, is something that the community wants. So there's no, a lot of work good. still to be done. But, um, yeah, we, we, it's certainly moved on from where yeah. it was this time three years ago. But, of course, it's like it's also balancing there for the economic benefits for the region to keep the logging trucks and all the other yep, trucks going the main in, route into the port, the port yep. and uh, getting those uh, dollars in for um, the community and, obviously, New Zealand itself. So, yes, lots of things to balance there. And it's got to be one of the best commutes as Jeremy Clarkson would say, in the world. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, but it's got to be safe for people to commute. They've got to be safe and feel safe. And, 
you know, I mean, I'm a regular cyclist and I, I'm a confident cyclist and I do ride around the waterfront. But, you know, it, it is a bit scary when, you know, an articulated logging truck is a, a couple yeah. of feet away from you. Yeah. So that's not going to help us grow mode the, the mode share for cycling because anybody who's interested in cycling but a bit concerned about their safety yeah. is not going to want to do that. So it's about building a better separated facility for that cyclist. You can't do anything about the afternoon wind that seems to blow back <laughs> it's towards the city. It's called an e-bike, Stephen. It's an e-bike. Okay, I'm on my old-fashioned thing, and then it's just, but just when it's home time, all the times I try and go down Rocks Road, it's just get blown back half the time. So, yes, e-bike is the way, definitely the way with that. Okay, so there's that um, initiative... Uh, and and any others that sort of are on a sort of smaller scale that um, you've been involved um, with? Or? So look, three years seems like a long time ago. I mean, in that time since then, we are in a new funding round. So. The, what, the, the central government fund transport packages in three-year blocks, and we're in the not 2021 to 24 block at the moment. Um, so I suppose new and we know what we've got to play with in that time, yep. in other oh, words. Okay. And the work that we're doing at the moment is really getting ready for the next funding round, the 2024 to 27 right. funding oh, round. Okay. And to do that, we're working flat out on an active transport strategy. So we're writing um, a strategy that will go to our councillors and out to the wider community later this year that will um, set the the parameters of you know, what sort of thing we're talking about. Are we talking about um, separated cycle facilities on any road that is more than 50 kilometres an hour? Are we talking about calming our local streets down so that you can safely ride a cycle on them and motorised traffic will travel at 30 kilometres an hour? Those are the th- decisions okay. that we're working on having made now so that in 2027 we, have, we know what we need we're going to need money to put a separated cycleway yeah. here or we're going to need more money to put speed humps here. So there's a lot of thinking mm. going into that now. This three-year period, we're not building a lot of stuff. Um, there's a lot of uh, stormwater and water work that needs to be done ahead of us underground and then transport comes along afterwards okay, yeah. and as kind of the icing on the cake. Yeah, so, so Washington Valley will be one of those jobs. We, there's a major water, stormwater and um, wastewater upgrade going on in Washington Valley mm. over the next few years. Transport will come in behind that and we're working through at the moment, what does that look like? Is it a separated cycleway? Is it an on-road cycle lane? What does it look like? Okay, so, so the bo- the boring but essential infrastructure, as, as was demonstrated by uh, up in Auckland, the huge flooding they had, uh, I mean, obviously that was pretty freak weather, oh, but... Yeah. Uh, to, uh, boring <laughs> but essential, yeah. Absolutely I mean, boring. Yeah. What said, absolutely yeah, if you ever essential. want to know what's important for what your council does, think about every time you flush the toilet, um, <laughs> you just think about, well... <laughs> With, yeah, yeah I don't want to see that again. <laughs> I don't want to see that again. Yeah, we want to uh, make sure all that infrastructure is keeping our streets safe and clean. So, yes, that's good indeed. So, actually, there was... Um, one thing Nelsonians will have noticed in the last uh, six months is that um, city centre uh, speed change. Yep, so that's, that's right. Dropped from fifty from fifty down to thirty. Down so we did 30. that. Um, oh, it's over twelve months ago now. I mean, this the, within the ring roads, including Selwyn Place. You know, really, the operating speed was pretty close to thirty anyway, because we've yep. got the courtesy crossings through yep. there. Um, but I think it's also been. Uh, we're trialling speed humps elsewhere around the city. So a major piece of work that we're doing at the moment is something called a speed management plan. Now, speed limits 
are really, really important when it comes to safety outcomes. Mm-hmm. And across the whole country, speed limits are coming down. So Waka Kotahi has done this on the state highway. So the, the speed limit between Nelson and Blenheim changed in the last 12 or 18 Indeed months. Indeed it did. And the crash history has, you know, there's been yeah, no crashes really since, no, no off, fatal. Yeah. So that's fantastic. We want to take that thinking. We know the fit thinking. It's about physics. The faster yep. you go, the bigger the mess, you know. So slow down the speeds the outcome of that crash is going to be um, very different at 30 as it would have been to 50, particularly for our vulnerable users like our walkers and our cyclists. Um, And if we want mode shift, we've got to make those people safe and make them feel safe. So lower speeds are definitely on the horizon. And we are working up that document now. It, It is a special consultative procedure, so we will be going to the community and asking them what they think. But it's very likely we'll be sticking to the national guidance, which is coming out of Wakakotahi, that is mm-hmm. your local residential streets um, should be slow slow speed environments where it is safe to walk and cycle. And some, some roads are pretty self-explaining already. So the city centre was self-explaining. Yep. At the same time, we did a lot of our um, hillside streets um, that, that have no footpath. So I'm just thinking, trying to think of some Beachville Crescent, Allen Street. So they're windy hillside streets oh, with right, no footpath, yep. and we've yep. changed the limit on those to 30. But I think you you can expect to see 30 more broadly applied more broadly. than that. Okay. And in some cases, that means we will have to put some traffic calming in place, whether that's narrowings okay. or speed humps or chicanes. We're trialling a whole lot of this at the moment. So Seymour Avenue has got speed humps. Toito Street has got speed cushions. Caracas Street has got speed cushions, I think. So we're trialling it, doing some before and after measures, asking the community what they think. And from what we find, we will um, plan what our speed management plan looks like. Yeah, Because there were, I mean, again, it can be, well, maybe polarising is a bit of a strong word, but um, in, in some of those calming street traffic calming measures you get some of the residents that I would imagine are really supportive because right that stops cars using us as a rat run particularly around toy toy and obviously there are schools and stuff and things there um, but then you get others say well I don't like these ugly boxes parked <laughs> yeah. outside my okay. drive or that <laughs> so I think you're referring to um, the Nelson toy toy South actually, Innovating yes, Streets Nelson project. Innovating so that, Street. I mean, that was a real testbed for us. We were very fortunate to get funding from central government to trial something called Innovating Streets. And yes, Nelson South was um, contentious. So uh, yeah, it, some of that stuff's bright pink and bright yellow and bright blue, and it got it did get a reaction. Um, look, it, it's temporary. It's what we call tactical. The okay. whole idea was let's see what happens to the speeds and the volumes on these roads when we narrow it up with a picnic table or a planter box. And when the budget is, if if it works, and I'd have to say the data is telling us convincingly that it works, yes, speeds are drop by 37%, yeah. volumes drop by 30%. Um, oh, that's so, a big drop volume. And, yeah, and okay. most of the residents love it. But what will happen next is that stuff will become permanent. So what's currently plastic and pink will become <laughs> a planted garden that's right. more sort of um, you know more of a natural palette as the as we budget for that in our long term plan. Right. So they are tactical, um, they are uh, controversial. I have to take my hat off to our council for sticking with that project because it was incredibly controversial at the time. Yep. And then, then when we painted a bu- butterfly on the road, well, <laughs> it was just like what? But um, 
it's it's had the desired effect. And in fact, that particular project has gone on to win two national awards, two national road safety innovative awards, because our council is stuck with it. Um, they elsewhere around the country, innovating streets trials were pulled because of the right. backlash from some members in their community. Okay, um, but we stuck with it, and the proof of it is now in the in the data. You know, thirty seven percent reduction in speed. 30% reduction in um, through traffic, rat runners. It's yep. got to be better for people who live in that yep. community. So those those things, the sort of bright colours and the boxes, they're, they're put in to sort of trigger to drivers and people. There's, there's humans about. Oh, there's, look, there's I have, to be, I have to be honest. How, they were put in work? because we, we did that project under COVID um, and and the time frame was really short um, and it was kind of what was sitting on the shelf at the time but also we, it, it was linked to the kindergarten so it yeah, was we were, okay. we were being a bit playful with yeah. primary colours um, you, the next phase of that project which was Tapahi Street so Kawai Street was where the, oh, the yeah. primary colours were used Tapahi Street we didn't use plastic colours uh, plastic or bright colours we used um, I think they were old apple crates and we planted magnolia yeah. trees in them. Um, so quite a different look and a different a different feel, but again, okay. really good results with less through traffic yeah. um, and lower speeds. So which I suppose is with those colours, you're sort of signifying, like, you know, they're you kind of signify with children, Small and, children. And, and yeah. you know, well, well we wanted to be a bit playful too, yeah. which is where the road art came in. You know, yeah, yeah. and the road art complemented another aspect of that project, which was the pollinator park. So there was a bit of wasteland between Tapahi Street and the railway reserve that was just covered in weeds, and we partnered with Nelson Intermediate School and our Enviro Schools coordinator, and those kids planted a whole lot of trees up there. We improved the pathway, we put a picnic table in, which is yes. all better yeah. outcomes for that community. We've seen barbecues being held up there. Um, you can use it as a breather when you're cycling up the railway <laughs> reserve and you haven't got an electric bike to help you up there. Yeah. So, you know, that whole project was about better community outcomes, not just road safety. Right. Yeah. OK. So, it's all, OK. So, well, that's, I mean, the 30% reduction in um, sort of traffic, that's that's very, you know, I was expecting around 10 or something, but that's clearly very significant. It was really interesting because some of the people who were really grumpy with us were saying, you know, I used to take that as a shortcut and you've made it really difficult for me. And I'm thinking, yay, yes. that's a win because we don't want you to take that as a shortcut. No. It's a residential street and it's all about getting the right traffic on the right road. Yeah. And the right road is an arterial road, Waimea Road is where they should be, not going through residential streets yep. where, you know, kids are on the footpath and... Yeah being dropped off at kindergarten and so on. must admit the thing that's probably had the, the greatest effect on uh, city inbound traffic, though, probably is the things we were talking about with sort of um, video conferencing and, oh, and yeah. people not going, so many people going into work at the moment on a regular basis and sort of time off from schools as well, I suppose. it's Yeah, the yeah I haven't actually looked at the data um, on, uh, we have what we call screen lines, so we can see how many vehicles travel on Waimea Road and Rocks Road every day. But, I mean, you don't have to, to see the counters data to know that the roads aren't as congested at the moment no, that's as what right, they yes. usually are. Anecdotally, yeah. I can definitely vouch for that as sort of Sunday, well, I think a few weeks ago, I was thinking, have I got in a day too early it's sunday or something because it just drove straight through it yeah sort of not necessarily eight. good for our retail but um no yeah. indeed not there are always pluses and minuses unfortunately but yeah okay so let, let's talk more about the the mode shift then because we're obviously still primarily if we're driving into nelson we're coming in along wyamere road we're coming in on our car we're probably single occupants and yeah. we're in the habit and we like it and we're comfortable and we go when we want. 
How are you going to break that cycle? Well, I mean, the three dollars of fuel, fuel prices the fuel price are doing helped a bit. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Um, look, it's a combination of things. There's no one silver bullet, but there's a number of levers that council can pull, and 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 one is public transport. So we have a a, a, um, a regional public transport plan, both Nelson and Tasman combined, that was signed off by council last year, and what that is going to bring is a step change in our public transport service from July. One 2023. So next year, we're, okay. we're about to, we're writing the tender for the service at the moment. It's going to increase the frequency of buses. It's going to change the bus routes. Um, potentially there'll be a new smarter inner city bus hub. Um, we're working through that at the moment. There'll be links to the airport. Uh, there'll be links out to Wakefield, Motueka, Mapua. So quite a step change from what you see at the moment. An introduction of a flat fare. Um, regardless of um, at the moment it can be up to $4.50 to get to Richmond it'll be a $2 fare under the new scheme so that's all about growing patronage and making buses more attractive the thing that's in the Nelson Future Access Study about buses is priority lanes so I mean at the moment the bus sits in the same traffic jam that everybody else does but in the Nelson Future Access Study there is uh, planned priority lanes for buses but not till about year 9 or 10 Uh, Um, so it's a wee way out And, and for good reason um, you know that that's not going to be easy either. There's land purchase involved. There's business cases. There's yeah, design. Because that sounds like there could be a lot of parks, parking spaces disappearing. At, or yep, road absolutely. Yep. Or, so priority yeah. lanes do come yeah. at the expense of um, on-street car storage. So public transport's one lever. Um, Active transport is the other, so continual promotion of walking and cycling, but making sure that those facilities are there. So. Um, building improved facilities, and that's the Washington Valley, the Waimea Road to Railway Reserve, but also elsewhere on our network. And this will all be um, outlined in our strategy when we pull it out, um, put it out to the public for feedback later this year. Um, making making um, cycling safer on on those roads that are 50Ks by separating them away from the motorised vehicles or by calming the roads and slowing the motorised traffic down. Um, there's a parking strategy that's going to be coming out for engagement, we hope, around the middle of this year. So, you know, it's really attractive to drive to work at the moment if you can park for free all mm. day, 150 metres from your office. Um, and we need to look at that. If we really want to discourage single occupancy vehicle use and encourage mode shift and reduce carbon emissions, then we have to think about how we manage our parking. We still need to make sure parking is available, particularly for those who need it with accessibility needs or goods vehicles, loading zones, all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, should it be really that easy to park for nothing all day outside your office? Yes, um, I mean, coming coming from the UK oh, 12 years ago, I remember in the local quite big town we were in, uh, and you're probably well aware of these schemes, so it wasn't me who put the idea into her head, OK, that... Uh, the local councils were imposing additional costs on big employers and basically incentivizing them to limit the number of car parks they had and penalize them if they didn't limit those car parks and it was sort of okay you're going to pay extra tax on this i don't know that we are penalizing or incentivizing at the moment but we certainly work with workplaces um to encourage them to get their staff to think about another way of getting to work, whether yep. that's busing or biking or car sharing, car pooling. Um, look, there's there's all sorts of things. Again, technology helps us here. In other places, other cities, there's car share schemes. So, yep. again, none of this is um, 
a single thing. If you start thinking about where people live and work, and if we as a city have um, a, a view to intensify where we live, so we all live you know, closer to town mm-hmm. and in more apartments, uh, it, car parking is something that uh, under the national policy, housing policy statement, you don't have to provide off-street car parking when you build an apartment building anymore. Yep. So yeah. we've got to think about, well, what does that mean for on-street car parking? There's going to be greater demand. But actually, in this day and age, you don't need to own a car in, in a large city because you can dial one up on your smartphone under an app like Mevo or something, which is a car share scheme when you yep. need a car, or you walk, cycle, and public transport to get around. So this is... You know, the way we get around is really, really changing. And and I go back to the fact that I said it's a really exciting time to be Mm. in transport because the perception that you have to have a car is changing. But we can't... um, we can't penalise car users until we've given them good alternative options. Yeah. And that's what improving public transport yeah. and improving active transport is about. So yeah. you can't say, no, you can't have a car to people until you've given them option. other good choices. I mean, I must say, you know, for the people of Nelson Richmond, um, to be able to most times have a decent chance of parking outside the very shop you want to park at. I mean, worldwide, that's... <laughs> It's almost, almost unbelievable. Yeah, that's unbelievable yeah. to be able to. So yeah. you know, it's you certainly got it incredibly lucky at the moment, and that can't last with population growth and the fact the amount of space a car takes up and all the rest of it. That yeah, we that can't forget a, that you know because we do get a lot of pushback, particularly from some of the the retailers, when we want to take a car park out, for example. Um, to put in a bike stand, and mm-hmm. we've got a fan- two fantastic bike stands in Nelson now. Another great initiative since I spoke to you last. Yes, that's two true. tiered, two covered, tiered, secure, yeah, yes. but they did come at the cost of seven car parks in Trafalgar Street, and there was a lot of pushback from retailers um, when we tried to cite them elsewhere around the CBD. But you can't forget, you know, people on push bikes buy things as well. Um, you know, they're also customers. They're clearly um, a lot poorer. Actually, they're not. They're clearly a lot richer because if they can afford electric bikes, yeah, that's, that's yeah. pr- pretty well off. So, so And there's them. a lot of research that says, um, you know, people who move slowly, people who walk and cycle actually spend more money. So ah. yeah, we have to we have okay. to change that mindset. Okay. Yeah, and obviously because um, uh, Top of Trafalgar Street has been pedestrianised permanently for a while now, but yeah. I, always, I never could understand why the retailers wouldn't want that because a most of them are restaurants and cafes and who doesn't who doesn't want to go and sit outside on a street on a summer's evening dine out i mean that's and look there's a the the city center spatial plan um that has been developed by alan gray talks about more of that our cbd being far more people centric than vehicle centric so there are plans it's been adopted by council um, to to make you know Bridge Street a linear active transport corridor. Cars will still be in there, but it will look and feel quite different a from what it is now. Linear active transport linear corridor. Linear park. So it'll go. Hopefully, we've got a funding application in with the government for this now. Um, from from Collingwood Street all the way down, and it'll kind of join up the Queen's Gardens to Anzac Park. So there'll oh, be more yeah. greening, more, more people space, more amenity, less cars, but still a place for cars. Recognising that mm. you know retailers. N- do need some, probably fewer parks. Um, but the the parking strategy uh, has identified that actually we're not short of customer car parks in Nelson City. 
we we have enough that the, the occupancy rate is around 85 percent right, what we okay. what we where the pressure is is on the city fringe for all those people who want to drive to work and park right, all day for yes. free um, yeah, that's where the pressure is. That's so the pressure again, is. Like, I'd, I'd encourage listeners to keep an eye on um, the Al Nelson um, publications uh, and Facebook pages to let, to let them know when the stuff's coming out for public feedback, which is probably May okay. June this year. Okay, because let's go on the on the sort of mode shift angle. There are there there have been, if I'm not mistaken, some sort of initiatives tried with the buses, and maybe to be fair, this is out to sort of more outlying areas or longer distances like the the Motueka and <coughs> sort of further, and you give it a go, and you just don't get the uptake. Well, I think I, th- I think that uh, well, we don't know until we try, I suppose, but it, uh, it's about making it more attractive. So, um, and making parking in those central business district areas less attractive because you will be charging more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you make the bus fares affordable and you make the buses low emission and pleasant and you make the bus terminus, you know, a, a nice attractive <coughs> building where you can wait out of the weather um, and you've got free oh, Wi-Fi yeah, and all those that's sort of true. things. So you incentivise it. Uh, I, I think there's, I, I'm, well, we certainly heard when we um, consulted on the draft public transport plan from those communities, and you're probably better to talk to Drew Bryant from Tasman District Council about this, but we heard from those communities that they wanted a bus service from Mapua, Motueka, Wakefield. And when I say a bus service, I don't mean <coughs> something that runs four times a day. I mean something that runs a bit more frequently than that and will serve commuters, not just okay. the people who we used to call transport disadvantaged who didn't have a choice. I, I guess the trouble is we can all be a bit fickle. We want something, but then we're not necessarily prepared to pay for it or... Ad- adopt it or actually yeah. well that means I've got to give up my car to use that to make that work and do I want to do that on a regular basis and mm. it's, it's those incentives as you say to make it more attractive that you do. Well I think uh, yeah, I mean, the other big driver for some people is, is their conscience around their carbon emissions mm. so mm-hmm. um, you know to drive from Motueka to Nelson every day in your car on your own <laughs> is, is not great for you no. know, climate change sort of no. outcomes. No, that's also true. That's also very true. And that's, that's as you say, probably more of a upfront. And I mean, we're seeing the sort of aspects of one of the dilemmas for New Zealand is about um, tourists and long distance travel to get here. So we want the tourists, we want to encourage that. But there is a sort of potential aspect of flight shaming. And I guess there could also be coming in now. Well, are we being a bit over selfish with our car use and that I just travel when I want to and it's one person, one vehicle and lots of emissions compared to a bus mm-hmm. or something else. Nelson is presumably never going to get to the scale for sort of light because, I mean, even Auckland can't do light rail at the moment, seemingly, in terms of funding. No, it light rail other. was um, looked at in previous studies around the, arter- it was called the arterial traffic study um, prior to the Nelson Future Access study. And no, it's not really an yeah. economic option. Just doesn't yeah. stack up. Just doesn't stack up. Okay, okay. What about the um, scooter? The e-scooter. The e-scooters, because <laughs> we d- we don't have the limes or the. Uh, <laughs> no, we don't. Not other yet. ones, <laughs> not yet. Uh, is it viable for them for Nelson? Oh, are they, look, are they they're knocking, knocking on, on the our door? door. They are knocking on our door. They, they want to come here. Um, but we know that. Well, there's a few things to consider here. So we know that e-scooters. Um, 
have been controversial elsewhere. And we know that there's a very vocal uh, group of pedestrian advocates who believe footpaths are for feet mm-hmm. and, and nobody else. Um, and we have an ageing population. And so mm-hmm. we take those concerns really quite seriously. Um, I think there is a place for micro-mobility or e-scooters when it comes to um, short, quick transport trips. And already a lot of people own their own. So they're not relying on the beams or the flamingos or the limes. They own their own. What is, um, what's a bit confusing is that at the moment, e-scooters are not allowed in a cycle lane. um, So they have to be on the footpath. But... uh, 18 months ago, central government put out a package called the Accessible Streets for People Regulatory Package for consultation, and that included some rules around where e-scooters should be, and it meant they could be in the cycle lane where they can't be at yeah, the moment, because that, that's actually the right place for them Yeah, to be. I was going to say, yeah. uh, it yeah. may, not, may not be your feel, yeah. but why why would a e-scooter be considered to be better on a pavement than a cycle lane where it's probably going the same speed as it's most of the vehicles. It's about speed differential, you're right. So it's better off in a cycle lane. But at the moment, legally, they're not supposed to be there. But So the Accessible Streets for People regulatory yeah. package was consulted on and a whole lot of feedback went back to central government and it was very polarising because a lot of people said, yeah, bring it on, we want e-scooters, they're going to help us with our mode shift. And mm-hmm. there was a whole lot of other people that said, no way, not over, no, not, not on my patch, you're going to have these things. Not over my broken so, ankle. <laughs> So it fell into a bit of a black hole at central government level, but we understand that it's um, that the minister signing it is imminent. So we expect mm. a release, uh, I think April, as to what the outcome of that was. And when we've got that, Nelson City Council, because we, we've we've said to all of these providers like Beam and Flamingo, yeah, look, okay, one day we might come back and talk to you, but not until we know what the central government mm. rules around this is going to be. Um, and when we've got that advice from central government, we will consider taking a report to councillors. It's not an officer's decision. This is something that the elected representatives will have to decide whether they want to allow a trial. Now, let me let me make it clear. E-scooters are not illegal. You can own and operate an e-scooter at the moment, currently on the footpath, but probably soon to be in the cycle lane. Um, and certainly they're allowed on shared paths. Mm-hmm. What the beams and the flamingos need is a concession from council to operate on our network because they're making money. So just like you know, a right. food vendor needs a concessionary licence, beam right. and flamingo need that as well. And look, I think there's a bit of a difference between um, somebody who personally owns an e-scooter and uses it to get from home to the bus stop or mm. office to wherever compared to what we've seen in some of the larger cities with the fun aspect of these Lime scooters, mm-hmm. um, where they they do have a, a, a pretty horrible safety record, mm-hmm. um, but when you drill down Drag into the data, they the are generally scooters. people who are using them against the rules, often intoxicated, mm-hmm. um, and using them where they shouldn't be using them. So there's a whole lot of stuff that council can do to um, minimise risk. We can make sure that they have speed limits on them within a certain area. They can be, um, I think it's geo geocached or something, so oh, that yeah. within the CBD they won't stuff, go yeah. more than 10 kilometres an hour, that sort of stuff. So that technology is around. Um, and we can uh, we can provide the concession to those who have the best safety record. You know, there's a whole lot of decisions yeah. to be made. So they're not in Nelson at the moment. They're not in Nelson and imminently um, okay. there is a whole lot of work to be done um, before we see those e- those higher e-scooter schemes around okay. but certainly we're seeing growing numbers of private owned privately owned yeah. ones because like you said there's the dangers to the elderly or hard of hearing and so forth but also 
and uh, as motorists can be have a thing that um cyc- well scooters and some a very very minority of cyclists don't appear to obey the road rules oh. like red light that doesn't matter yeah, to me yeah, i yeah. can yeah. just some, go some through some cyclists it and e-scooter users are their own yes. i'm sure you're not one of those cyclists who doesn't bother with red lights but if you are a cyclist with other who doesn't bother with red lights don't because there could be a pedestrian are just about to cross and you're just going through the red light and yeah um so okay well that's interesting to hear about those uh scooters uh ev scooters coming in and stuff but because i was thinking one group that it may be really good for um during my day job i work at uh nmit then yep polytechnic there and obviously a lot of students um one of the most controversial topics at uh, NMIT is not necessarily studies it's actually car parking because yeah. there are so many people I, coming into a, a small and we are doing more and they issue a lot of permits for and a small number of car parks <laughs> I mean, we, we, that's a great example of an organisation that council has started a conversation with um, because we would like to in other city centres the tertiary institute provides um, a payment to council and council makes bus transport free to students yeah. so that sort of conversation is one that we want to have um, so you know, free travel for NMIT students on buses when they show. Well, they, we, we would simply load the concession onto their B card. Yeah. But um, you know, yeah. The the, the Polytech uh, certainly when we're planning our bus routes and our bus stops, our super stops, um, we see NMIT as a key destination that we need to serve mm. better with our bus services. Yeah, that's great, and and possibly for the whole scooter thing for those who live close by, so that they could potentially come in because they're like they're quite expensive to buy. But if they were able to rent, that might help more and yeah so buses and scooters who knows but yes you normally uh can tell how late you're in by how far you have to park away but that's not that's the same for everybody really um okay so that was uh, anything else on the mode mixed mode aspect uh, there no i think I, what uh, active transport public transport parking um evs i suppose um not they're not mode shift because they're still cars but, uh, you know, we're seeing a, a big uptake in EVs uh, yeah. and I suppose council's role in that is making sure that uh, where we can, we have got some EV charging points around the city. Um, we've got a team, a climate change team, who are pursuing some funding for that through ECA. I was going to say, because there aren't... There's one. There's, yeah, oh, there's one. I thought there were two in Nelson. <laughs> well, there's one, one council... Pro- well, oh, one, council one on council land, yep. um, which is in Miller's Acre. Yep. Um, but a lot of private businesses have actually put them in. So there's ah, the supermarkets. Um, right, I mean, yeah, the new yeah. countdown out at um, Champion Road has got EV oh, charging. Yeah. I believe th- that uh, elsewhere around the country, New Worlds and... Uh, countdowns and the warehouse and it's probably only a matter of time before our local businesses actually put them in as put well them in anyway, yeah. but we will also start to um well we will be exploring some funding for those at places like um green meadows so oh yeah yeah okay yeah no that's good that's good so um we've got about 15 minutes left uh which yes tatty roundabouts <laughs> we haven't talked about tatty roundabout now but only bringing this up because it made an item in the local news and yes, there is did. a issue. Um, doesn't seem the most serious issue in the world, but it could have a safety element if the roundabout is overgrown and you can't oh, see yeah, properly yeah. over Well, yeah, yes and no. Um, I think what was driving a lot of the criticism was the fact that they was it was unsightly. Um, I don't I don't recall reading anybody about the f- saying, I can't see over okay, the dandelions. Okay, so it's just unsightly. Um, and, and in fact... the 
most of our roundabouts, our bigger ones, are designed that you can't see over them because you don't need to be able to see over them. So okay. um, there's some rules around how f- you should be able to see traffic approaching from your right for four seconds before they cross your path. Right. So the big roundabouts like um, Annisbrook, you know, you don't need to be able to see something on the other side of that because if you did and you waited for them, the roundabout would be really inefficient. All of that aside, because I don't want to get into traffic engineering, um, the the stuff that was in the local media was mainly around roundabouts on state highway. So I don't, I'm not pointing the finger yeah. at Waka Kotahi. In fact, I'm going to defend them because what happened was tragically, um, I think two years ago, three contractors, uh, I think they were Higgins contractors, were killed when doing roadside maintenance in the North Island. And as a result of that, there was a huge safety review of temporary traffic management. Okay. And there's something called the Code of Practice for Temporary Traffic Management. It's called COPTM. And a whole lot of rules got changed around safety margins, spotters. um, And it made roadside vegetation, particularly in a high-speed environment like a roundabout that's 70 kilometres an hour or more, uh, yeah, really, really challenging. Okay, so um, you can't do so, it so often because it's quite a major exercise to get all the safety stuff in. Yep. So so until it was safe, I mean, any employer has got an obligation to make sure their staff come home at the end of the day and Absolutely. they're not killed on the job. Absolutely. And, and until Waka Kotahi could work out a safe way to remove those weeds, they didn't get weeded because right. actually safety trumped it. Now, right. I don't know, for those listeners out there at the moment, you'll see that, um, that seems fair in enough. the last couple of days they've just moaned them. They've just got in there at night, closed the road, and moaned those roundabouts because they needed mowing, yep. and yep. that, for the for time being, was the safest way to do it. I know that um, across the whole country, everybody's scratching their head about this because we want greening in our urban environment. We do. We want greening. We want biodiversity. Don't want to weed kill it all. But just actually, to keep it all you, know, down. you know, we don't want to concrete these roundabouts. No. But you've got to factor in what it costs you to maintain them and to do so safely. So there was a bit of a lag, and yeah, they did look a bit unsightly, but actually, you know, safety has got to come first. Absolutely. Safety, human lives beat unsightly roundabouts. Yeah. Some people got pretty upset about that. Hopefully they uh, didn't once they understood the context, but uh, there we go. Um, actually, that's something else that's come in in the last two years the diagonal pedestrian crossing oh uh, the Barnes dance the what sorry the, we call it a Barnes dance at Trafalgar Street Barnes and Halifax dance. Street very good yeah, yeah. Yes. Barnes dance not named for folk dancing named after the man that invented oh, it oh <laughs> I thought it, it was named no, for no, it. it's B-A-R-N-E-S <laughs> the um, Barnes dance yeah so that that was also a bit controversial when it happened um, because people had to sit in their nice, ah. warm, air-conditioned car listening to their stereo for a few minutes longer at the I traffic do. lights. yes. But hey, what about those pedestrians that can now cross diagonally? Um, the level of service for pedestrians is so much better there yes. than it used to be. And uh, we we trialled it and it went down well. And um, if we can, we'll do it elsewhere. The traffic signals are all linked and some of them are a bit more complicated than others. Uh-huh. But um, it, it's about making our city centre more pedestrian or people-friendly ahead of the cars. So again, this comes back to that mode shift. I sound like I'm banging on about mode shift quite a bit. But, you know, if you want people to walk and cycle and move around in in a way other than in a motor vehicle, you know, you incentivise that. You prioritise it over the motorised vehicle. 
It made me this feel... This is not probably going to have very well on a Drive Alive programme. <laughs> well, driving in lots of different things. I, well, the world is changing. We've got to, we've got to grow with it. It's part, it's part of my therapy doing it as well, accepting that, you know, things can't be as well they were. Um, but, yeah, it makes me feel like I'm in Auckland, you know, big city. We've got... Yeah. This is... Whoa, this is, this is good stuff now. This is good stuff. So, yes. Uh, 20, it's 20 second countdown, isn't it? I think. Yep. You've got 20 uh, it might be 25. Or 25. Actually. It might be 25. I can't remember. Yeah. 25 second countdown. But, yes. Um, so, that's quite. So, there could be more of those coming potentially. Um, well, there could. We don't. Uh, again, we have to Depends talk to our where. traffic signal yeah. people because the SCAT system, the synchronised traffic system, is, is quite a science. Um, but where we can do it, we would. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, that synchronised traffic system. So, can. Do, do you have the knowledge in your head where you need to be at Collingwood Street to get a clear run <laughs> on all greens right down? Because people would pay big money for that, I suspect. To, yeah, to that, no, yeah, Collingwood Street's kind of the, the, the part of the loop where you kind of catch up. So Rutherford Street works better than Collingwood Street, and it is a science, and I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to, try to explain <laughs> it. So, so anybody out there, if you have a theory <laughs> of what time... And point you have to be at the end of Collingwood Street to make it down right to the other end. Green, 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 green. There's four lights, maybe five. You've got to get through. Uh, without speeding, of course. Uh, yes, do let us know. Do let us know. Okay, so um, coming on then, I guess the, the future plans, um, sort of we talked a bit about those are there any other um initiatives or road safety um, yeah, or things I, that you think we ought to well i think i'd like to touch on the new waka kotahi road to zero oh campaign. yes yes absolutely. so there's some new ads out um you you pro- if you're a television watcher you'll you'll know the one about the creepy lady that's in the toll booth oh um, yeah and yeah, yeah. uh and then there's the one where they avoid a possum and a whole lot of people climb out of a car that's right the whole campaign road to zero is about changing people's mindset um, mm. For years and years, we've talked about the road toll, and there's been an acceptance that, well, you know, the price of driving is that some people are going to die. Yeah. And what Road to Zero is about is it's about saying, actually, that's not acceptable. We shouldn't have to accept that there is a toll um, because under a safe system approach, nobody should die or have a serious injury as a result of a mistake that they make. So when I talk about the safe system, we recognise that drivers make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not robots. We, we make mistakes. Sometimes, deliberately, we ignore the rules. You know, we drive after a few too many beers or mm-hmm. we drive too fast. It's still a mistake. It's something that you, you're doing wrong. But to do so shouldn't really cost you your life. So a safe system is um, something that we all have to contribute to. So there's a role for the roading engineers to design safe and forgiving roadsides. So that's what crash barriers are Mm -hmm. around. That's why we've got a new wire rope barrier down the Richmond deviation so that if you do you know, lose your concentration or fall asleep, you're not going to drive into another vehicle coming toward you. You're yeah, going to hit that barrier and bounce off combined onto speed a shoulder. Combined so k a, or whatever that is if your two cars hit. Road, yeah. Roadsides are part of that system. The speed limits are the other part. And, and our role in that as drivers is to adhere to those speed limits, mm. to drive at a safe and appropriate speed. You know, 100k is not a target. Um, it, you, you should adjust your driving to the conditions, mm-hmm. um, the time of day, the people around, the weather. Um, so safe roadsides, safe speeds, safe people making those decisions about not you know, drinking and driving, not being uh, distracted on your cell phone. Um, safe vehicles. So 
you know, when you crash a car, if you're in, you know, a, let's say a one-star car, uh, mm-hmm. I, I probably shouldn't name any brands on air, but, you know, there's a lot of one-star cars that flooded into this country because they were cheap yeah, the and they were being dumped by yeah. other countries. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of parents bought them for their learner drivers because they were, you know, cheap. Mm-hmm. And their learner drivers are the kids that are going to, once they're on a restricted license, have a crash. And, you know, the outcome is terrible. A five-star car, same kids, same crash, they'll survive. So safe people, safe vehicles, safe roads, safe speeds, all part of a safe system. And the vision zero approach is it's not about pointing the finger of blame at anybody. It's about we all have a role to play here and we should not accept that people have to die or be seriously injured mm. when using our road network. Because proportionally, New Zealand's um, road uh, deaths and serious accidents are, for the size of the population yeah. is quite high yeah. compared to other countries. And like uh, we are quite high compared to oh, other yeah. OECD countries. So um, it's not a record that we're proud of. No. Um, and, and, and and tragically, we've had a terrible week here in the Nelson Top yes, South indeed. region. Yes. So... Um, well, a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, you know, when we get down and drill into those crashes, um, there was obviously a hole in that Swiss cheese model somewhere yeah. where it wasn't a safe car or somebody, it wasn't a safe roadside or and it, it resulted in a fatality or a serious injury. So yeah. zero, it's a vision zero, it's come out of Scandinavia. Um, it's internationally recognised as world best practice and this government has adopted a road safety plan that is um, really quite aspirational. Vision Zero is aspirational but they've set some targets. They've said they want a 40% reduction in deaths and serious injuries by 2030 and I, yeah. I really think that's something we can achieve. I mean that that is that is it certainly is an ambitious target um, and it's obviously I mean for the Safety barriers cost money. Road widening costs money. We've got a huge road network. Um, and, I, I, well, a lot of people might say that surely it's driver education <laughs> or policing or both that is going to be the biggest. I mean, drug testing is one thing that's, I think, potentially coming in as well. To, um, yeah, roadside drug testing is coming in. And that's one, one tool in one the tool, toolbox. Yeah, one tool in the toolbox, One sure. tool in the toolbox. But you can't have a policeman 24-7. No. Um, and, you know, driver education, yes, we all think we're great drivers, but even a good driver can make a mistake. Yeah, they can make a mistake. Or somebody coming toward them makes the mistake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's yeah, so I guess it's getting a balance of all things and not targeting just one aspect, but... Um, yeah, trying to get as many as possible as you can and for people to look after one another and remember there are humans and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers in the yeah, so, transport you know, you're driving, not buy, some Buy your kids better than a one-star car. And look, I, I have to say, I was guilty of that myself, you know, yeah. and I, I, I suddenly started to sort of look at those star ratings on, on cars and... Um, it's it's not okay to put kids in a one-star car. <laughs> yeah, and it is obviously you know for many it's going to be a financial challenge on that in terms of uh, as as it is for car owners in terms of when their tires get low. Well, can I the new set of tires is quite expensive, yeah. but yeah. hey. Yeah, What's well, and that's why we want it to be easier for people to make a choice other than to drive. And again, I'm yes. not on the drive a live show, but you know, um, do get on the bus do, instead. Yeah, it, it, is it? Um, absolutely necessary that we drive 
yeah. if we as a, a council and a road controlling authority can provide good alternatives, then there's a safety outcome as, as well as an environmental one because yeah. fewer people will be um, injured. And I guess that's where it comes in about you separating cyclists because that's going to be one of the people's, you know, apart from the sort of weather and the effort and the stuff side, biggest objections on cycling. Well, hang on, you're talking about safety, but cyclists, motorcyclists, all incredibly vulnerable road users. Um, so, you know, that they've got to be convinced yep. that that's a safe way for them to get around as well. Yeah, but I guess um, certainly in countries where they've got high concentrations of cyclists and have or mopeds and have for many years like Italy, Holland and stuff the drivers seem to treat them with a heck of a lot more yeah. respect interesting because in a lot of those uh, European countries when you uh, have a crash with a cyclist uh, you are auto- as the driver of the motor vehicle you are automatically deemed to be at fault ah. unless you can prove otherwise so wow, that's, that's interesting that's set okay. legislation and I think it does earn so, you know it does mean well I'm going to respect that cyclist but you know the, the numbers of cyclists that we've got in places like um, Holland and, and Denmark and stuff that's been years in the making and mm. so it's post-war a lot of it actually yeah. and, and it hasn't happened overnight but I think um, we we will eventually reach a tipping point where you've got a critical mass of cyclists that drivers expect to see them yeah. uh, and and we hope that under the safe system approach they will respect them um, but it's not going to happen overnight no, it, it's it builds over time, time. Yeah. yeah but yeah I think I think the um, the fact that you're automatically deemed to be in the wrong unless you can prove otherwise is probably a bit of a big stick approach and, and uh, yeah that's an interesting it has one. resulted in a that's very high level of respect for those that's those an interesting users. one that um, yes. So that that could be, who knows what happens in the future, but that could be coming. Right, two minutes left. Two minutes left. Any last messages for us or things you're proudest of? I mean, the Safe Streets Initiative sounds that that did um, sort of pretty well. Well, but yeah, it, it has done well, and yes, we are proud of it, and um, and it's been a, a really interesting test bed for what's yet to come. So, as I said right at the beginning of this interview, transport is changing. Mm -hmm. Um, If people are stuck on uh, the way things used to be, then I'm sorry, times are changing. Uh, And how we get around is going to change, and and we really encourage people to embrace that. Um, Because, you know, if if you've never ridden a bike, e-bikes are a game changer. Um, if you're older, the, the, you don't have to be fit. You don't have to. You don't ah. get to work all sweaty. You know. I mean, I ride to work in a skirt and a high heels when I was riding to work. I'm actually working at home at the moment. But <laughs> um, so e-bikes are a game changer. Embrace this. We'll do our best to make yeah. it attractive and safe um, for you because times are changing. Yeah, I, and it is it's amazingly good therapy. I mean, my wife got on an electric bike after many, many years of not cycling. She used to cycle miles and miles and miles and miles and then didn't cycle for about 30 years and she said it made me feel like a teenager again because you just go up these hills like they're not there like you used to when you were a teenager and it's just oh it's good for the heart it's good good for for the soul fitness yeah yeah yeah. fresh air it's all good it's all good anyway um thank you so much for coming in again always Uh, a pleasure the show has whizzed by with your informative um insights and knowledge and it's been great to hear particularly from a local point of view what nelson city council and your team and others are doing to uh, make this changing world uh, a better one for all the people in the top of the south so thank you very much margaret parfit from nelson city council we will be back in two weeks time uh with another guest or maybe some music who knows you'll have to tune in and find out which so thank you to uh npd fuels for sponsoring us 
and we look forward to your company in two weeks time so take care on the roads the podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show first broadcast on fresh fm the top of the south's community access media station with support from new zealand on air the funding of access media makes these podcasts possible to find similar programs by other community access media stations go online to accessmedia.nz